All right. My guest today, Brian, um, is a comedian, among other things, kind of a communications expert, but he's also a strong believer in libertarianism. Um, so we had a pretty in-depth conversation looking at both kind of the philosophical, conceptual ideas of being a libertarian, as well as kind of like the practical ones when we look at the issues of today. And um, I'll say it's why I love these conversations, because sometimes, you know, you hear phrases like conservative, progressive, libertarian, and we think immediately, OK, I know what that person is. I know what they're about. Um, I know what their what their beliefs are. I know why they believe the things they believe. And as, as I said during the episode, like for me, the reason I do this show is to turn that on its head, to actually have the conversation and actually ask and see what the person's actually about, see what they really believe and do it in a way where we can really dig deep into it, pressure test it, examine it at a deeper level. And I think that's exactly what we did. Um, and for me, I, I think the idea of libertarianism is always really intriguing to me, the concept of it. But as with most things, it's when you it's when you start to understand what does it actually mean? What does it actually look like? How does it actually apply in today's world? Um, what does it actually mean to, to have government really not be involved and just have more freedom? Um, what does that really look like? So it was awesome to have that conversation with Brian and kind of pick his brain. And I, I'll say I appreciated throughout um, kind of his thoughtfulness in, in, in trying to look at this in, in kind of a humble, objective way and being open to the idea that, that that maybe things are different than the way he sees it and really just being willing to have this type of exploratory conversation. So with that, let's get to the episode of Brian. All right, Brian, thanks for being here. Really appreciate you making the time. Psyched to talk to you today. Um, I love to jump right into it, so I will. And I'll ask you the question of what's the value, what's the belief um, that's that's really important to you. Well, I spent quite a bit of time, the last maybe 10 years of my life now, trying to uh, change people's minds about libertarianism slash anarchism, what it means, what it is, because there's a lot of misconceptions around it. But really, it's uh, it's something that as I've gone through my life has become a little bit more important to me, especially as I've had children looking towards the future. And I look around at the world and how this approach of, uh, of libertarianism, which really embodies, I think when you get down to the, the basic core of it, how you can make everyone's life more fulfilling and give everybody an opportunity to basically succeed in their personal uh, goals, their personal ambitions, while allowing other people to do the same. And how that's played out in, in I guess, a lot of things in my personal life and how I, I look at the world is I look at how the government's gotten involved in virtually every aspect of our lives right now, right? From if you're a, a business person, they're in your life. If you are if you have children, they're in your life from basically the get-go, be it with uh, the medical needs, be it with educational needs. And then as you go through your existence, you find that the more and more you look at your life and your savings, uh, you look at what you're trying to accomplish with maybe a home ownership. You look at what you're trying to accomplish with just simply living your dreams, living your life, how you treat your family, how you interact. It really is touched and, uh, and coerced by government in such a strong fashion that it makes you wonder what could be achieved. Were those elements removed? Were they altered or were they shrunk down quite a bit? So that value to me as has played out in my own life and, and really has come around to a philosophy that I've called freedom futurism now, mm -hmm. which is looking ambitiously at what the future could hold were uh, the libertarian philosophy applied. Basically, were these government institutions eliminated? Were people able to live a freer lifestyle? Because I think a lot of the times you run into a resistance from people because they're used to a certain thing. And very often when we talk about libertarianism or, or anarchism, people find that you all you were trying to do is take away 
rather than give them a vision of what is possible. And that is very scary to people who are used to, I mean, the old, the old that cliche is who will build the roads, but are used to having these government institutions in their lives in such a way that it's almost impossible to imagine life without them. So what I try to do now is bring people a little bit more of a delivery of concretely, or even in a more, you know, fantasy uh, side of things, a more sci-fi aspect, here's what the future can hold that's over the horizon if you will follow me down this path. Mm. And I think there's a lot of ways to do that increasingly now in pointing to what's failed along the way and how we've been doing the same thing for 70, 100 years on the same path that hasn't worked. And then point to people, especially after coming out of COVID and seeing how people's lives are impacted, how things can be better. So I hope that sums it up. It's it's a broad ranging, sorry, it's a wide no, ranging no, answer, but as you said, it's trying to uh, establish the value. Well, that's it, right? And it is. It's kind of setting the foundation for the conversation too, to make sure as best we can, we kind of understand it and what it is. So I appreciate that. I guess cutting right to it to some extent, like a, a lot of the, um, like the the view on that, right? The reaction you get from people on that that mindset, that approach. I'd imagine hinges a lot on like, what does it actually look like that, that kind of, to, to use a simpler phrase, but like that promised land you speak of, if we can kind of embrace these libertarian values. Um, Cause I think I say this often, but I think for a lot of people, conceptually, the things you're saying about people being able to be more free, some of the limitations or issues with government, a lot of people would agree to them, but it becomes a question of like, okay, but what are we actually saying? And I think a word that comes to my mind as you're saying it is, and I'm curious your take on it is like tolerance, because mm -hmm. in some ways, what you're speaking of is like the epitome of tolerance. It's to say, hey, we should all be free to be whatever it is we want to be. And that's really what the goal of this whole thing is, to allow us to just be what we are and what we want to be. I think there is a view out there that some people think, though, when they hear libertarian or something more in what you're saying, which is it's intolerant. It does not actually mm -hmm. accept progression and change. I guess clarify that for people. Is, is there truth to that? If we're being honest here and just having a conversation where there is some things that there, it is an intolerance towards, or is it actually totally tolerant as long as people are free to be themselves? Well, I mean, I think that when you say it, so where a lot of this probably can gets confused in, in the tolerance versus intolerance is there's a concept called the non-aggression principle, which is uh, many people throw out there when they talk about libertarianism essentially is don't hurt other people, uh, don't infringe on their rights, their businesses, and, and they won't infringe on yours. It's kind of like the golden rule in a way. But where people say, well, you could be intolerant in a way of that would be by saying, like, for example, property rights, which is another core tenet of, of libertarian thinking, which is you have your property, you control that property, you're allowed to do what you want to do on that property as long as it doesn't impact other people. But if you're somebody else trying to come onto my property and try to uh, instill your way of life on it, maybe then that could be considered intolerant if I, if, for example, don't want to do it. Or if I have a community of people that would say, well, we don't want to partake in that activity, right? So that's where I could see it saying, well, it's intolerant. But at the same time, if you look at what goes on in our society every day, intolerance is all around us. And I would say to a much higher degree now than it's probably ever been. When you look at people being segmented and sub-segmented by their beliefs, by social medias, the intolerance and the cancel culture that we fostered here, through to our, our own government being intolerant of our beliefs and you know wanting to be free, wanting to discuss things in an open uh, manner. For example, we saw it with COVID censorship. We're seeing it now with censorship of um, you know anything having to do with uh, quote unquote hate speech. So I would argue that what you're really doing and and what the, this future holds is creating a more tolerant society because we're getting rid of barriers between people, number one, that are instilled by government, but number two, because when you have an opportunity 
to have open trade, open dialogue, but also have the freedom to create communities and provide, you know, different value bases. And, and that's pretty much existed throughout history when you think about it. When you talk about different communities of religion, different communities based around uh, a common philosophy of parenting, you know, be it, be it a, a communal, you know, it takes a, a town to raise a child type of thing. You know, these communes where they share farm space and, and there's no money involved through to places that are, you know, highly technological in the way that they want to raise their children. They And they, you know, put them through uh, very strict schooling. You know, like, for example, let's say uh, the Asian community, a very heavy educational focus. These are examples of communities that you could view as tolerant or intolerant based upon your personal viewpoint. So when you talk about it and say that there's intolerance, well, again, it's a matter of perspective. Mm. And I would argue that every single person is going to have a different set of values. So saying something is tolerant really comes down to what your personal philosophy is. So to say that a libertarian philosophy would be intolerant. I think itself is escaping the concept of it's actually opening up to provide communities that you would view as completely tolerant of views and opening up you to live your best life because you can now find freedom in a community that jives with where, where your perspective's at, with how you want to live your life, how you want to raise your children, et cetera, run your mm. business. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a good clarification. And, and, it, and it, to me, it highlights the complexity of the whole thing, right? As you said, mm -hmm. like for a lot of these things, conceptually we can lay them out and understand the benefits of libertarianism or, or kind of the, the freedom that we can possibly have in the future those things make sense but then when you go to put them in practice as you say it starts to become subjective of who decides you know is that thing is this right. actually infringing on that person's liberty or mine if the fact that i want to do it but they don't want me to do it wh whose liberty actually wins out there and whose matters and it gets to this really complex messy situation and and to me like the the most important question of all it's, it sounds cliched but it's true is like well, what do you do about that? Do, do you do you look at it and say it's kind of hopeless and there's nothing like tolerant, conservative, liberal, progressive, libertarian, like there's all these different terms we throw around. But in reality, what we're just explaining is the reality of human nature, which is that we see things differently. We live in a world where there is no clear objective truth that we know for sure this is the right way to live. It becomes very opinionated. And even if people are well-intentioned, it's very hard to get any alignment on that. So why, like, it's the question I'll ask in that big ramble is from your perspective, and I ask this genuinely, there's no judgment on it at all. You seem to come out of the side which says, no, 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 I feel very strongly that there is a right way to do this. There, it, it, Despite this whole mess that looks unsolvable, there actually is a path and I have conviction that that's the right path. Where does that conviction come from when it seems like it's just, it's too complicated to have any confidence that there's one way to get it right or that there's a single approach to do? Well, that's where I think actually, so my confidence comes in not so much that I'm saying libertarian philosophy and, and you know, full freedom, you should be able to do whatever you want without any, as long as you don't infringe on somebody else. Mm -hmm. While I believe that is the right way forward, I also completely have a concrete belief in that our philosophy allows for you to experiment in every possible way with every potential for a society, for a, a forwarding of human culture, of interaction, and as we're saying, of tolerance. And and to your, your as you mentioned in your, uh, as you called it a ramble, but I thought it was a very intelligent <laughs> ramble, um, human nature is going to be that certain people are always going to be intolerant. You're always going to have racists. You're always going to have people that are bigoted in some way, shape, or form. But when you have open dialogue and when you have open trade, you have the incentive structure laid out for people to basically need to interact because you're providing you know goods and services you're having trade i mean trade is how we all came together to begin with i mean that is the nature of humanity that's how we came to interact and adopt other parts of people's cultures is by trade but when we talk about the way to move forward 
as I mentioned, you're talking about experimentation on a, a mass scale because you no longer have a top-down system that is forcing people into being indoctrinated in one way, shape, or form into loving one form of government. I mean, we've got in the United States currently a uh, a, you know, a a republic, a democracy, some people would call it, but we've got a republic, and it's probably the best form of government so far. Now, it's being eroded, but it's probably the best form we've found. But at the same time, you see what's happening. You know, the smallest government that's ever existed, which is what it was created as, has become the biggest government in the in the world. Now, how does that happen? Well, slowly and surely, the boiling frog style, but government exists to create its own needs, to create its own problems. It exists to expand itself. And when we see what's happened to it, you go, okay, well, isn't there a better way? And I look at the policies over the past 60, 100 years, as I mentioned earlier, the failed policies in education, the failed policies in, in how we, uh, you know, the militarism and the empire building of the United States, the failed policies in how we treat minorities. You know, the welfare state is one giant failed policy, wherein I would argue it's created more people that are dependent on the state. It's harmed people's upward mobility. The war on drugs combined with the welfare state has basically put a generation, more than that, generations of people that are on the lower spectrum of income and poverty has made it so that their families are broken up and the incentives exist to keep them broken up. These are failures. And if we can find a way to, to eliminate the shackles that are holding people down and, again, get the indoctrination out that says this is the one way forward, our democracy is the best democracy, you have to get out there and vote, and you have to live this way, and you have to finish school, and you have to do this, give people the opportunity to experiment, to find new ways of governance. And you might just find out that what we've been doing for the past 200 plus years wasn't all that great. Yeah, there's a, there's like a dichotomy in that, which is which I appreciate, and I think it's good to have this type of conversation where it's like, it's it's all somewhat relative to what we think the society should function like, right? Like everything that you're mentioning, you're assessing it based off of, which is good. I mean, that's what a value should be. Is it going to allow us to get to this futuristic state where we're allowed to be free? And in some ways, that's a good thing because it calls into question everything. Like it calls into question everything to say, is this working or not towards this? It's interesting, though. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm making sense of this. So there's there's no like indication or, or or implication to this. But like there's also a view of something where it's like we've we've gotten off track and there's something that we need to get back to. And that's the dichotomy I speak of. Like, is it how do you actually see it? Is it that we need to get back to something that we had and we lost? Or is it that, as you say, we're experimenting and figuring it out and there's nothing that we're beholden to other than liberty and freedom and the right to be who we want to be. Like, which which one is it? What, what are you actually beholden to in that? Well, I, I don't think that necessarily there should be anything ever we're beholden to, but it's like anything, picking and choosing. I mean, America became what it is. Our culture became what it is, essentially from picking and choosing what we wanted to take from other cultures. You know, even as far as the governance structure, they picked and they chose what they liked from other cultures, the Greeks, the Romans, you know, even back to, to what they took from England. And they decided, here's the values that we're going to pull out of this, out of this mess. And we're going to add on some new values. And I think that's the way it has to be moving forward in any way. When you ask what I do think um, we should try to salvage, and, and there is a big push, right? I mean, this is kind of how I settled on how libertarians have been losing arguments and the freedom futures. The thing is, the Republican side of things, the conservatives, they want to go back. Their promise, which I believe is a farcical fantasy, fantasy promise, is we're going to go back to when it was great in the whatever 30s and everybody had one car and you only had to work one job and you know everybody had a pink house and whatever it might be. 
that's never going to happen. It's a, it's a fantasy. The Democrats and the progressives are pitching a future wherein you never have to work and you know we'll be taken care of. The nanny state will be there. We'll raise your children, raise your house. You don't have to worry about retirement. You're never going to get sick and you can go to the, you know, again, it, this is a fantasy. It's never going to happen. So the concept is that we also have to sell a fantasy uh, of, of a better future. But when you say, what are we going to take with us? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the core concepts, when we talk about what time we would have gone back to, if I had to, to pull from, it would have been the time where there was no income tax, which was a point in history. People forget that, that we had a point in history back in the 1900s where there was no income tax. I mean, it, it slowly and insidiously was added on, but the government was just fine. It, it had a military. We had defensive capabilities. It ran what it was designed to run just fine without our money. But as we see this massive explosion of government services and, again, the military industrial complex and all of these special interest groups tacking on, you have failure upon failure, which costs us more money, restricts your freedom. And when you think about it this way as well, look, now, how many people go to jail over tax fraud? How many people die of stress over taxes of business? How many businesses aren't started? How many innovations are never seeing the light of day because of taxes, because of a lack of funding? And you look back, as I said, when there was no taxes, well, you didn't have a prison system that was now dependent on taxes, dependent on welfare, uh, sending people there, the, the drug war, sending people in. You didn't even have a prison industrial complex as we do today, but that tax base is a portion of it. And what's interesting is that even the tax system as a whole, you know, and this this goes back, and I apologize, I can't remember the exact politician that stated this, but it was essentially tied to the creation of you know the Federal Reserve and how this tax system would work. But they stated that we don't necessarily need taxes as a government to operate. I mean, they acknowledge this, but the taxes were a fantastic way to control the population. Because it is an ever-hanging sword of Damocles that's dangling over you. And no, at any time, the government can, can more or less audit you, and they can always find something to get you with. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a great book called Three Felonies a Day that cites that literally there are so many laws in the books now where every one of us walks around, and the government could literally crack down and catch you for th three felonies a day very easily, and you have, have no idea, mm -hmm. no idea that you've broken the laws. See, there's there's a lot of different ways. We so I gave you a lot. To, I gave no, I threw a lot it's at good. you there. I it's apologize. Good. I I my own podcast. I just rant for an hour no, straight. So I have to remember I, to I slow it relate. down. I can relate to that. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of different ways we can go in this. I to me, what's most interesting, less so, not because it's not important. It is, but I think in terms of what we can accomplish here, it's less debating the specific topics because there's lots of different perspectives and there's lots of nuance and there's all that on that. Um, but the two things that I do think are interesting is one, I'll kind of harp on a point I've been making, and, and I think you're perhaps illustrating it still, um, the income tax being an example, right? It's a good example where you can look at it and say, prior to the income tax, right, there were other mechanisms or tools, the government, and frankly, let's just call the government what they are. They're people, they're humans. When humans saw an ability to exploit, to take mm -hmm. advantage, to benefit themselves or their theirs in some way to maintain power and exploit that power in some way that allowed them to, to get some benefit, right? Prior to income taxes, whatever it might be, maybe it was slavery, maybe it was the labor laws allowed for it. And, and all these things that are evolving over time, it's at the root, it's all the same. It's still that human nature towards greed. It's not that humans are, are inherently evil or bad. It's just that we are, at least some would argue, quite literally on this earth to like expand as a species and to thrive and growth. And that's what, what's inherent in us. And that's kind of what it is. That's what's at the root of this, whether it be the income tax or some other legislation or policy. It's all the same thing, which, again, gets you back to that point of like, 
well, then what gives me any optimism that we can figure this thing out? Because it's always just a new flavor of how they're doing this, right? So that's one aspect. Let me stop on that aspect of it. I know we've touched on it a little bit, but like, as you're saying the things you're saying, I hear the words and I have no reason to believe you don't. I'm just trying to, this is what I love the show. I want to understand it. How do you get yourself mentally to a place where you can actually believe it and say, I know there's a solution here that's going to fix seemingly this problem of human nature that's existed for eternity? Well, well, I think as as I, I alluded to a little bit earlier, so there was an interesting uh, conversation, I, and I, I listened to it, and it's with, uh, oh, God, I apologize, I'm just completely blanking. I'm, I'm a little bit tired. My baby woke up at five in the morning today. Right, um, you got an excuse. It's the, essentially, what, what the argument that this person was, I was listening to earlier, was saying that, you know, there's this there's always going to be the weight, as you said, the weight of people trying to get ahead, take advantage. And how do you solve that? Yeah, to your question, how do you solve it with libertarianism? And, and my concept that I thought of is basically this. When you have everyone working at all times under the system that I'm talking about, where everybody's got an equal footing to get ahead, you have the restrictions are removed. Essentially, imagine a giant, you know, let's say a, a basalt pillar, right? Or a giant concrete pillar. Everybody's trying to get that pillar. That's the money. That's the intrigue. That's the, that's the winning. That's money. That's power. But when you have everybody trying to get at it and nobody's got a very specific lever of power that they can apply through government, through crony capitalism, through lobbying, through you know different laws and regulations, and the biggest actors always have the more regulations that benefit them. I mean, look at social media companies, look at banking companies, any, any, any large industry. When you have everybody pulling on their separate chains at all the same time on this massive concrete pillar trying to get ahead, you have the most chance of everybody balancing out because the, it can't move. When you have everybody pulling from all sides at all points, you have the, the best chance of that pillar staying upright. Now, is I, I'm hoping this is the, the point I'm, I'm trying to make is coming through here. It clear is. It that. is. Well, let me ask on it because it is coming through clear. It's almost yep. to say like it's kind of like a, a perfect free market in some ways, right? If it's working the way it's intended, you don't need regulation. It regulates itself. It functions right. the way it's supposed to. Because the anytime question, somebody gets too big of an advantage, there's somebody that's going to come in and, and take them out with a better idea, a better well, offer, that's, a better price. Exactly and, right. That's a beautiful – that's, that's the question in it to me is, is – can libertarianism, or at least what you're expressing here, can it overcome human nature? Because even if you can get, let's say we were able to snap our fingers and get that level playing field where everybody, nobody has one thing they're working towards, everybody's working towards it. It's human nature just going to bring us back to it. Maybe it won't be lobbyists, maybe it won't be government, maybe we'll call it something else. But we will formulate groups in ways in which some of us can win and some of us can lose. And back to it, that's just inherent in who we are. So the the solution that you're suggesting to get to that better place it's almost like inherently contradictory to what humans are. And it's impossible for mm -hmm. us to ever embrace that. Even if we were put in that situation exactly as you want it, we would find our ways back to this, which is sad, sure. cynical. I'm not saying it's true, but we have to consider it, right? Uh, uh, no, I would agree with you. I, I, no, and I, I I completely agree with you. As I say, you know, again, look what happened with our very own government. You know, the 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 growth of this, there's always going to be people that are looking to get an advantage. And sadly, I've come to accept this, is the resting state of humanity is authoritarianism. It is what makes the most people comfortable. People, a large portion of the population simply is uncomfortable having freedom. I mean, this is a sad truth. They prefer to have somebody and they're a strong man. There's a reason certain people like, let's say, like a Donald Trump or a Putin have a large amount of support. And I'm not saying I hate Donald Trump. I don't know how, you know, I don't know where your audience breaks down you know, politically, but 
there are there's always going to be that portion that wants to be ruled because it makes them feel safe. And there's always going to be that portion that wants to rule. So inevitably, you are going to have power structures built up. But that's where the thing is, you know, the fight has to be fought. And I'm not saying that, you know, it, it, that you're not wrong. I mean, it, it will in, eventually gravitate that way, that way. But that's where there has to be a cultural movement that I think has been lost, a, a cultural belief in freedom being the driver that leads the way forward and that when you see things pop up that are authoritarian it has to be fought against there should be a gut instinct in us which i think we've lost as a country that this is bs this can't be permitted these people are getting too powerful too large they have to be taken down one way or the other we have to stand up and we have to say enough is enough and that's something where i'm trying to sell that not only in pointing out what people are losing, but as I mentioned, in trying to convince them that that freedom is the way forward, because you have to have a religious belief in it, essentially. It has yeah. to be a belief that transcends setbacks, that transcends people saying, well, you know what, here's why it won't work, X, Y, and Z. They have to believe that, okay, I don't really give a shit. Wait, sorry, I'm sure I can no, no, give you a cursing pod. No, okay. good. Yeah, not sure, you know, I don't give a shit if well, the one thing that we tried failed. Because I believe that the next thing we try will succeed. And that's the key core of moving this forward is that belief in freedom as a successful philosophy and that try and try again, it will eventually succeed and we will be free. And this beautiful future awaits us. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a beautiful future if it works that way. So I, I totally get the appeal of it. I think where, where it gets interesting for me is that... Um, there's this sense of like, you said it, right? It's almost religious. It's spiritual. There's there's almost mm -hmm. a dogmatism to it that you have to have for exactly the reasons you're yeah. saying. Because yeah. I, I think of it, I'm not particularly spiritual or religious in any given faith, but I am a strong believer, which is very parallels very strongly to a religious belief, which is like life is somewhat of a struggle. And I hear that a little bit in what you're saying at, at, a, at a micro level and at a macro level, there's this ongoing struggle where human nature to some extent is trying to pull us towards you know, power dynamics and exploiting people. And the struggle is for us to say, it would be easy to just give in to that, allow the strong man to win, but we're going to fight that. We know freedom is better. And you have to have that almost irrational belief in it, which is true. The, the, the trouble in that is that allows for a situation where when you're being dogmatic, when you're, you have to have an irrational faith, you could be missing something, right? And there's a mm -hmm. chance what you're willing to do to achieve that better state maybe causes more harm, right? And I'm not saying that's the case, but somebody could look at it and say the approach being taken by either side, right? A libertarian, a conservative, a progressive, it's somewhat of a battle stance. It's somewhat of a stance of we are in that struggle, we are fighting that battle. And does that just keep us in it though, right? At some point, does somebody have to say, logically, it makes sense for me to fight this because I feel like there's a better way. But the thing that's stopping me from getting there is this sensation of fighting, that we're in a battle. Like the counterintuitive thing maybe we have to do is to not be in a battle and somehow let it play out. Those words perhaps sound nice. Perhaps they're idealistic. I don't know. But like, how, how do you check that for yourself? How do you make sure you're not falling victim to the same things where it's not actually what's best for us? It's just, you know, there's some other dogmatic belief behind it. Well, I, I think for me, it's a, I, and I do remind myself of this all the time. And it, it comes to the, the question, it's, it's an internet meme, really. Um, have you ever thought that you're the bad guy? You know, and and, and I think yeah. not enough people ask that question. And while yeah. you, while I'm saying you do need a dogmatic belief in again freedom or entrepreneurship or leader, you know, whatever it might be, that doesn't mean that you should completely shut yourself off from the lessons of failure. As I said, you should be able to fail and say, okay, let's try, try again. But the lessons of failure still remain. And this is the, the beauty of again free market economics or free market ideas is that 
if somebody can revive you with a better argument, by all means, change your mind. I mean, changing your mind is a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Evolution of the mind, evolution of the mental state is a fantastic thing. And that's part and parcel, really, of what I believe in. And the free market of ideas should be that the best idea wins out. But you have to have the open dialogue for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where... It, it really has fallen apart with our current system, with the, with the two-party system, the very politicized nature, the divisiveness, that the best ideas don't win out. And you combine that with the censorship complex, and you have facts and figures that are absolutely accurate being censored, so that people's ability to decide what's true, what's false, which ideas are correct or incorrect are being completely warped. Mm-hmm. completely controlled because how if you don't if you if you're not allowed to access the reality around you, and you know, in as close as we can get to a factual sense that we can all agree on, right? We should all be able to agree on a basic reality of this is red, this is blue, you know, the, the gravity is real, whatever it might be. If you're not permitted to access that reality because you're being denied uh, valuable information, it's being censored, or because the parties in power are telling you to believe or listen to anything that doesn't follow your dogma or outside of this specific worldview is evil, can't be trusted. And in fact, if by thinking about these things, you are, you know, committing wrong think, wrong speak, uh, kind of like 1984 style. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a major issue. And that's where, again, the philosophy that I prescribe to is always have an open mind, Mm -hmm. always talk to people, most importantly, to people you don't agree with. Because if you can't win that argument with them, either you need to figure out a better argument or you're wrong. Mm. And you should be able to accept that. Yeah. Well, all right. So let me press on that and, and make this real and, and ask you, honestly, let's 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 think about it. Like, so you mentioned you have your own podcast. I haven't listened to it extensively, but I've listened to it a bit. And I think what I heard mostly is somebody who's really knowledgeable and thoughtful about issues, who has a strong point of view, which I think is coming out in this conversation, right? That's, I think, a very kind of um, high-level way to look at it. I would imagine there's some people who have different views who look at it and think <clears throat> that it is, um, it, it's it's some of the things you were just saying you're afraid of. It's it's kind of taking issue with certain groups or people um, and seeing it a certain way. And, and maybe part of it's like the government, right? The fact that the government is usually out, if not always out, to hurt us in some way, or there's some mm-hmm. sort of conspiracy around it. There's some people that would hear that and say like, but that's that's the problem. You spoke about this divisiveness. Um, you you in some ways are contributing to that. Now I I I don't ask that question to be like <laughs> ah gotcha right. That's no, a, yeah, I agree. Stupid thing, right? <laughs> what's much more important? I think the million dollar billion dollar question is to understand what's missing there, right? Like you are from everything I can tell from this conversation, a reasonable, thoughtful, compassionate human who's trying to get to a better place for everybody. There's people on the other side that feel very similar, other side, however you want to define it, people that see the world differently than you, that have that same belief, yet somehow you guys are disconnected. There's a perception mm-hmm. that allows them to think Brian's actually doing harm, or he's he's being divisive, or he, you know, he has hate in his heart. What is it that's allowing them to think that? Why is that not true? Or is it true? Is there some truth to that in some way? Like how did that how did that dynamic happen? I think, well, as I said, I, I you're absolutely right in that I, in a way, I am adding to divisiveness in that I think anytime you have a different set of ideas that is not already accepted in the cultural narrative, it's going to be considered divisive just as a whole. I mean, this is just a fact. I mean, you can look at what's happening right now with the trans movement, whether you agree with it or not, you're talking about something. You're talking about inserting a brand new, well, not brand new, but new for a lot of people to accept in this concept of a a woman is a woman if you say you're a woman, right? 
Whether that is correct or non-correct, you are providing divisiveness because it's something most people haven't encountered before. So it by nature has to be divisive until people can come to grips with their own understanding of it broadly, broadly in the cultural lexicon and how it impacts their lives. Mm -hmm. So naturally, it's going to be divisive. Now, to the question of whether or not people would interpret what I would say as hateful or not. Now, I am the first person to admit this. When I started my podcast, I wanted it to be an approachable, um, you know, accessible libertarian lesson with a friendly guy. And as it went on over the years and years and years, it got, it just got, I got more annoyed with other people. So it became more, more aggressive. But at the same time, I do try to go out and have different interpersonal conversations. I am trying to change the podcast now, and and I'm going to start another podcast called Freedom Futurism, where the sole focus is on bridging gaps. Mm -hmm. I mean, I live in L.A. I have virtually all of my friends do not agree with me politically, and we have many drunken conversations. But what I try to do is focus on things where I can say, OK, what can I convince them that they are they're wrong on? And, and poverty has been a huge one. Poverty and education, the welfare state, as I mentioned earlier. I look to things where their worldview is already leaning into what I believe, but I can prove to them that what they've been doing is wrong. I mean, for example, poverty. We spend the most on poverty that we've ever spent uh, by leaps and bounds. Under Obama, it, the, the spending on poverty exponentially increased. The poverty line, the poverty rate, the, you know, it's the exact same. It hasn't changed in iota. So my simple argument to them is that I may not have the right idea. I may not have the solution to this. I've got some ideas about it. I've got some some thoughts on how to move forward and fix this. But guess what? If I'm wrong, I'll happily try something else. The problem is your philosophy of how to deal with this, spending more money, keeping these people, you know, paying them out, as I said, hasn't worked. We know it hasn't worked because the poverty line hasn't moved and you've been doing it for 50 years and yet you are completely adverse to trying something new. So would you at least agree with me in principle, we should do something different. Mm. And that's where you can say they think about it and they go, well, yeah, that just makes complete sense. No matter what my dogma is, yeah. why aren't we trying something different when we've been doing this for 50 years and it's failed? So yeah. that's where I look to, to bridge the gap and try to be less divisive with people and try to lean into the places where just it's a logical fallacy for them to keep believing what they're believing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I think there's a lot of honesty, which is super commendable, honestly, to 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 talk about it in that way to say like, hey, yeah, maybe sometimes I do do that because where I sit, like the truth is the truth, whether we admit it or not. We all have biases. We all have stuff going on in our head. Yep. We all have this. This is a multivariable 4D game of chess we're playing with life. So like to say it's just one way or simple is is almost always a lie. So I, I appreciate the honesty in that and, and like the honest reflection. And I think it, it it highlights what makes this so hard because even in that example you're giving, right? And let's let's just go with the example you have where it's, hey, there's a problem here with how we're approaching homelessness. Um, there's a better way to do this, right? You see it where even if well-intentioned, that human nature we spoke about before, the same thing that likely needs <laughs> where freedom needs to be pushed for, pushes us to start to think like, but how do you not see this? And wh whatever it is, frustration, anger, fear, our mind starts to kick in to be like, it is rational and reasonable for me to just snap at that person and be like, mm -hmm. you effing moron, how do you not see this? And maybe it's not always in those words, but it allows for this sensation, which is like, hey, I'm justified to just kind of command that this has to be the thing. And that makes sense. That's our nature. But I think back to where we were before, that's that ability to be like, I see that's where I want to go, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do exactly what you just explained, which is I'm going to try and find a better way. I'm not just going to take the way that seems most obvious and just hammer it down. I'm actually going to be a little humble. I'm going to consider it differently. 
from what I can tell, that's the really hard thing that we have to do. That's what this conversation is, I'd like to think, because then we actually figure stuff out and we learn. But as I say, it just illustrates, and I'm guilty of this as much as anybody, when our emotions, when it, when the heat of human nature gets into it, in some way, there's no telling what we're going to do. There's no telling yeah. how we're going to react. Exactly as you say with your show, where you kind of started it one way, and for various reasons, which I'm sure are good, it kind of morphs a little bit. If nothing else, it allows us to empathize with those people we're seeing on the other side who are falling into the same trap, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, as you mentioned, you know, coming at people, trying to take emotion out of it is always the hardest thing of, of any conversation. And that's what I've, I've tried to do in a lot of way. And it's funny because libertarians have an, a very accurate stereotype, by the way, of being a little bit less emotional, a little bit more logical. Now, I am an emotional guy. You know, I, I came to libertarianism through Ron Paul, but I flip flop back from, you know, liberal to, to conservative. And, you know, but I've always been a, a very a person that wanted to think for myself. I'm not coachable. As I've been told a million times by coaches and my father, maybe that's something that's born into you. But I think that trying to take a little bit, number one, a little bit of emotion out of certain content or certain subjects and insert it into others mm -hmm. is a way forward, too. Because as you said, people are naturally going to react very strongly based upon stimuli in their own lives. I mean, you don't know what people have gone through in their life. And in a way, say I also a uh, public relations uh, professional looking to tie that in in any discussion and try to feel out, OK, what you know, ask questions of people. Hmm. Where are you coming from? Tell me a little bit about your situation. What do you do for work? What, how is your upbringing? People can key you into a lot of things, a lot of factors in the conversation that are going to give you an indication of where they're coming from, how to approach them without getting an explosive response or leaning into it. I mean, hmm. if they can get angry over something that I want them to be angry about, for example, their savings account being completely eroded by inflation, by you know, and for what. So that we can drop more bombs on your behalf across the world. You know, there was a, a funny thing recently where Donald Trump, I don't know if you saw the story, Donald Trump is the only living president who you can't trace his lineage back to owning any slaves. Is that right? Now, that's hilarious because people on the left hate Donald Trump and call him a racist, but yet he's the only guy that, that, that has no slave ownership in his history. Very funny. But then I turned on its head and I said, now, look, as much as they hate Trump, Really, we can turn this around and take that hatred of, you know, not only the historical context and hating slavery, but said, let's turn that around and point to the fact that Obama and Hillary Clinton, who are beloved by the left, literally created a slave market in Libya because our actions there in overthrowing Gaddafi, who was you know murdered in the streets, led to a complete uh, power void, which was then taken over by various factions and led to a literal open slave market, which is still going on today. So I said, I don't care about who owns slaves historically. It doesn't matter to me because I'm focused on now and what's to come. But what concerns me now is that slave market that we created using my dollars. Doesn't that piss you off? You say you hate slavery. Show me how much you hate slavery. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. if you really hate it, you'll be pissed the government's using your dollars and yeah. cause this. So well, you know, using that kind of an example to turn things around and use emotion where possible, but also try to take it out of topics like education or race where it's applicable to try to get a calmer conversation. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. And that's that's the other part of this. Like there's there's a lot of right and a lot of wrong all around this thing. Like that view on the slave market in Libya, I, I'm not as well versed on that. But, you know, if that's happening, like that's horrific. Right. And it's it's totally right to be like, hey, we can't allow this. We cannot accept this. Where it gets tricky, and this this is the theme throughout this whole conversation, is that there's so much of life, there's so many decisions, there's so many policies, there's so many politicians where their actions potentially are leading to suffering. And I think what you're getting to is like a consistency. Like, let's be consistent mm -hmm. about it. 
Right. And I think that's, again, one of those things that's right. But being consistent is almost impossible because almost literally anybody that you defend and say, okay, that person's doing it right. There's something they've done wrong. There's something that could be attacked in that, right? If Obama and Hillary have done those things and people should take issue with that, but then they take issue with other people that have done things, but maybe you don't take issue with, and it becomes this really tricky game because it comes back to that subjectivity of like, who objectively gets to decide like that thing's worse than that thing, or that thing is actually bad and that thing's not. And it gets back to this whole idea of like, I don't know, we kind of just throw our hands up and that doesn't feel like the right answer because there's suffering in the world and we want to make it better. And that's yeah. why I often find like maybe life is this sick joke on us where like we're conscious and capable and aware enough to know that things should be better, but we are incapable of overcoming our human nature to actually make it better. And we're just stuck in this like torture right. type syndrome. Well, 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 that's why they had to change the matrix. Remember, they couldn't make yeah. it everybody happy all the time. They had to yeah. make us miserable. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. So, you know, it's just interesting and it, it comes back to it like... I wonder, I, I genuinely wonder, I think about it for myself, the the level of like frustration, understandably so, as you explained it, that you have with Obama and, and Hillary in that regard. If you're being totally honest, do you carry that same energy and consistency looking at people on the other side, people who are maybe even libertarian, who very much align with your views? Do, are you able to hold them to that same consistent scrutiny? A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. In truth, a lot in a large context in the libertarian community, and I and I think this is not necessarily the best thing. There's always purity tests and people accusing other people of not being true libertarians, because as much as I think the libertarianism actually as a philosophy, as a political philosophy, I think it has the least ambiguity uh, when it does come to morality and, and moral judgments. Because as I mentioned, the non-aggressive principle is or the non-aggression principle, excuse me, really is fairly cut and dry. Now, there's some wiggle room in there, but, you know, you always have to come back to the fact that. Who am I hurting? And the only way you're really allowed to violate this is if you are protecting your own, you know, your life as from direct, direct threat or those of your loved ones from direct threat. Right. So that would extend to, you know, for example, government policy. I will 100 percent hold any libertarian, whoever, you know, should we actually get into office? We go through, I'll look at people's votes for for war movements, you know, whether or not we are, are voting to to, uh, you know, give permission to send troops somewhere. And if we actually have a vote on it, which, by the way, we rarely ever do anymore because the president has authority to send troops all over the place, not congressional approval. But if if somebody like a Thomas Massey, who I, I think is a absolutely morally principled person, he's a hardcore libertarian. Um, he's a good example of, of a principled person because he will often vote against his interests because of the benefit of it. Like, for example, very recently, um, you know, he he had voted to move forward on uh, on a, some measure or other, which violated his personal principles. But he said, it's not my role because he was on a committee that decided whether or not this would go through to the, the Senate. And he said, it's not my role to deny the elected people their vote on this because I'm denying the population as a whole than a vote on this. So by me voting against it, I'm killing it off here. It's not my role. It's not mm -hmm. right. So I applaud that. And, and as something that whatever was moved forward, I didn't agree with it either. But of course, I'm going to hold these people accountable to that personal viewpoint and, and the moralistic viewpoint of are they hurting people? Are they giving people their best vote, their best chance to live a freer life? And by that definition, you know, across the spectrum, it makes it actually makes life a lot easier from a moral perspective because I'm not forced to jive whatever actions these people take with the dogma of a party. 
You know, for example, the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, they have very long-standing dogmatic views. And if you violate those views, you have to go and, and do all these mental gymnastics to make them okay, to make these people okay. As I said, you know, Obama, Clinton, you know, Obama, they say he's scandal-free. He has more scandals than anybody. And on the GOP side, these people looked at, you know, they say, well, I wish we could go back to Reagan. Get Reagan put crack in the ghettos. Like, what are you talking about, you psychopaths? So, of course- it makes it easy on me because I'm not tied to trying to do the mental gymnastics to make my support of a party correct. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's it's much easier to be a libertarian because it's a it's more of a straightforward path. Yeah, it's it's almost in some ways like when you're when you're a Democrat or a Republican, I'm generalizing, but um the the default, the easy thing to rely on is the party, right? Whatever the party believes, whatever those yep. viewpoints are, that's what you're beholden to, to use that phrase before. So in some ways, you don't have to worry about it yourself, because as long as you're aligned to the party, you know you're good. The approach you're taking, it's kind of like the onus shifts off of putting trust into the party. And now the trust is yourself. It's got to be that right. your assessment, your read of it is accurate, right? And this ties back to what we were saying before about when emotions get involved, because all those things can now cloud your judgment. And I think maybe maybe I'll ask this as the last question, or at least the last thread, Brian. Like For someone like you, who, again, ha has strong views, but thoughtful, obviously, has, has been through it, have a podcast, has a voice on this. In many ways, it comes down to that, the trust you have in your own mind and your ability to be objective and to look at things and see them, the things you talk about on the show, the issues that you're finding, right? It's almost the consistency we're speaking of. It's like it's like a logical consistency. Can that same logic hold, right? If it's, and let me give an example to make that real, right? And I'm, I, I don't, I can imagine where you sit on this. I'm not pointing it in any direction. It's just one to use, but the transgender issue you mentioned before, perhaps, or at least mm -hmm. this progressive agenda that seems to be there, that's pushing more towards like non-binary and, and a different view to sexuality. Um, in the parameters in which we're talking about it, you could see that as a threat, right? You said the, the non-aggression, but you could see that as a threat against society. Mm -hmm. They're trying to push things, right? Maybe they're trying yeah. to infiltrate kids and do that. And now we start to get into this scenario where it's like, they might see, they, right, the, the people that are supportive of those things might see it from their side, like, hey, they're threatened and they need to do something. You also see it as you're threatened and you need to do something, right? Like, how do you stay morally consistent in that when you try and be really objective at it? I don't know. You can use that example if that's the easy one to illustrate. Uh, really I, I'm happy. How, how do you trust yourself so much? A hundred percent. I'm more than happy to use the transgender issue. I mean, I, so I, I'll tell you exactly where I come down. And obviously I've been thinking about it, talking about it's front and center of our culture, which is right. kind of one of the things I, I, I laugh about is that this, you know, a portion of the population that's less than 1% has somehow completely dominated our entire culture conversation right now. But the way I look at it is, is something akin to what you said. I do view transgender radical activists as a threat i view them as a threat to um freedom i view it as a threat because number one because there's a lot of threat to uh public spaces where i'm not comfortable personally with saying that you know a man should be able to shower in the the ladies locker room among you know little girls if they you know haven't transitioned if they've transitioned i don't really have a problem with it to be honest but if they haven't transitioned i have an issue with that i take i take issue with that Mostly because I worry about not only the you know the safety of my child, but also because I worry about the safety mentally. You know what? How do I explain this? How am I going to go into this? What impact might this have on her later in life? We don't know a lot of the issues that can come with this, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have the conversation. You know, and it shouldn't it doesn't mean that we should deny transgender people their rights. And I thought a lot about this, and like anybody else, I think where a lot of confusion comes out on this issue is that transgender people for the most part, if you're not these radical activists, 
want to live a normal life. They want to be left alone. They want to be accepted, but they want to be left alone to live their lives. The last thing really they want is to be singled out, to be made a spectacle of. And I think that's what these radical activists are actually working towards. So it's a little bit of a, a confusing dichotomy mm -hmm. of the, el the old guard of I just want to be accepted. Um, and, you know, and as a broader culture, we look at that and we go, okay, well, it's an oddity, but you have your rights. I'm not going to stand in your way. You're not doing anything to hurt me directly. But as you said, I do view it as a threat to my two daughters, not so much directly from the trans people. I think the odds of a trans person coming after my kid and doing anything specific is very small. But I look at the results of some of these studies that are coming out now of these young girls with this social contagion where, you know, you had the trans population was dominantly seven to one males transitioning to females. Now it's completely flipped on its head where young girls are transitioning and you'll have groups of girls Five out of seven of them are now suddenly transgender. It just it just doesn't dive, jive. And you, now you look at the outcomes to this, which for these girls, it's you know depression, it's it's suicide, it's detransitioning, regretting, mutilating their bodies, and the way in which they are censoring the conversation around this sickens me. And that's the kind of control where you say, okay, I can't say, and I won't say, transgenderism is wrong or this movement is wrong because that would be idiotic of me. The way, you know, to answer your question, this is a rambling way to answer it, but to answer your question, no, there's virtually no issue that should ever be viewed as black and white. Every issue has nuance. Every issue, you should take the time and say, what are these people coming from? What do they want? Why do they want it? But at the same time, you have to say, okay, how will it impact me? How will it impact society? And also who benefits from, you know, every iteration of this? And it's not just who benefits on the transgender side, who benefits from a corporate side, who benefits from a government side, who benefits from, you know, there's so many different ways to look at it. And most people are too lazy to think that deeply on these topics beyond the gut reaction. But that's what I'd like to challenge people to do is when you have issues like this that dominate our cultural conversation, you can't just rely on a gut instinct or as we were discussing earlier, a, you know, MAGA world's take on the trans issue or the progressive take on you have to go along with this or you're a bigot. You have to think for yourself because there's so much riding on many of these issues that you don't see the unintended consequences until you really think it through. And even then, we still don't know what's around the bend. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. It does. And, and all it's going to do, as I think good conversation does, is it's going to highlight more of the complexity and the nuance, which I think you're accounting for a lot in this which which is good and i and i think you know if you play the thread out it comes to a question of like I, you're right there, there there are radicals there's radicals in all directions there's radical libertarians there's radical transgender activists there's radical conservatives liberals all of it right so there's always there's always going to be some radicalism and you could take a philosophical view to that and say well they probably have some reason why they think that radical view is right and there's still benefit to trying to understand it but i get that sometimes that can be fringe. Yeah. Well, again, um, who who benefits? Because a lot of these radicals, you know, there's a distinct benefit to them in many, many ways. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that gets back to the trouble with being consistent, because when you look at that, again, there's so many policies of our government where you can look at and say who really benefited and who's suffering mm -hmm. because of it. And it makes you wonder, and, and I ask this as much of myself, like, are we, we, the collective we, the rhetorical we, whatever, are we in as much control as we think we are, even when we think we are, right? Even when we're having mm -hmm. these conversations and we feel like, like if we really look at it honestly, like why are, why is everybody so worked up about the transgender issue? Is it because the issue is really that 
significant, important, complex? Is it because it really is that divided? Or is it because for whatever reason, the powers that be have decided that's a good news story to put out there, at least a topic to be out there for whatever reason. And you can start to say, well, then maybe I'm still falling victim to the same thing. I'm just being pushed to think this is a battle I need to fight when the yeah. reality is most people aren't those radicals, right? And I don't need to be speaking to them because actually most people are more moderate in the middle. And it just leaves you back in this place, which is like, well, what, what is the truth here? Like what actually is, is happening? And it's tough. It's tough because I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, in this conversation, like, oh, let me ask a question. If you, if you're being super honest, like if this conversation was with somebody else who shared very similar views to you, and I'm thinking this for myself too, would you be talking about it in the same way that you're talking to me now? Or is it more forced? Cause we don't know each other as well for you to be more thoughtful, to be more diplomatic with the word choice? Because to me, that's what it comes down to. Like, we're all going to see things differently and view things differently. It's like, where's it coming from? Is it coming from a place of genuine curiosity and genuinely caring about people and trying to get to the right answer? Or is it coming from somewhere else? Is it coming from somewhere where there's fear or hatred or whatever? Like, so to ask that same question again, do you trust yourself enough that when in a situation, in an environment, you can control that side of you and keep it objective, keep it straight, keep it fair and balanced? And look at a transgender issue truly objectively, right? As best as we ever can. Yeah. I mean, I, to answer question, I, for me, I do trust that uh, in myself. I, I tend to look at everything fairly objectively. I actually had a, I, I'm a writer on the side and I actually had a, a TV series I was working on or am working on where essentially the core concept is that this guy dies and he uh, he goes to this kind of middle uh, middle uh, I don't know what you call it purgatory area yeah. wherein he's constantly encountering other people in purgatory but the core concept is he gets to see these other people's lives and deaths and it's not just people it's animals and everything else. and the morality of that play out so if you're a tyrannosaurus it's a tyrannosaurus just destroying people just ripping them to shreds and you find out well it's doing it for its kid you know yeah. so it's always going to be the objectivity I think is a key and I try to think about that when I do look at different topics my morality as much as i respect you know as i said the libertarian philosophy of morality my morality is not necessarily somebody else's and they have their own motivations and reasons for having that morality so i try to understand that morality as it plays out in their mind in the context mm -hmm. of the world around us. so i try to always be objective to answer your earlier question if i'm doing my own podcast did i change it because my audience might be more libertarian there's there's going to be things that i probably would change just because i may lean into some topics further um presuming that they know what i'm talking about already so naturally i'll change that aspect if there's more of a if i'm going on more of a, a progressive audience i probably would as i mentioned focus on different topics and this is something i told the libertarian party as well look there's certain fights you don't you you probably don't want to fight i mean arguing over whether or not civil the civil rights act should have been passed, you're probably not a great idea. <laughs> you know, and it, it's probably not great. <laughs> you can point to some reasons that it might not, shouldn't have passed, or you can point to the fact that the government was the cause of a lot of the segregation and racism to begin with. But still, fighting that fight, even though it's principled in philosophy of saying we would object to this theoretically because of how it plays out with government and the vote, not a good idea. So yeah. I would lean into those topics a little bit less or, or more or adjust how I would selectively highlight what I would talk to about them. Yeah. But, you know, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm with what I'm trying to do now is go beyond litigating the past and litigating a very specific, uh, you know, moral worldview. And I said, try to paint a picture that's just trying to get beyond that. Yeah. Um, because it, it does, it bogs you down when you try to get into these conversations where you get into the nitty gritty and people say, yeah. well, what about this? What about that? Let's, let's get beyond that, yeah. you know, and give you something you're going to believe in.
that's cool. I like it. I like that you're doing it. Um, I wish you well in it for sure. And I wish you, I, I mean, it's like the ability to keep that, that moral perspective that you have. And also that, that trust, that faith you have in your mind to read it. Right. Um, I hope, I hope that is right. I know that's something that I think about a lot is just, how do I check that? How am I kind of maintaining that struggle we spoke about before? So I hope you're well, able it's to nice to be too. wrong. It's, sure. it's, that's the yeah. thing. A lot of people get real pissed when they're, when they're wrong. I don't like to be wrong, but at the same time, it's nice because yeah. it gives you a nice, it should anyway, give you, you care about a reality truth, check. Right. If, yeah. if the goal is a... the truth rather than winning, then yeah, it should, it should be a nice thing. So, well, that's yeah. why I love these conversations, Brian, um, is to have, is to talk about topics like this, where I, I often think of it. And, and I mean this in the best possible way where somebody might look at it and say, and just see the headline or see the title and say, Oh, I know what this person is. I know exactly what they're about. In mm -hmm. some ways, the reason I do this show is to turn that on its head and say like, maybe you do, but maybe you don't. Let's actually find out. Let's actually ask. Let's actually try and figure it out mm -hmm. and not assume the worst in people not assume anything let's just actually try and learn and i think it's cool that we got a chance to do that today so i thank you a ton for it i love this conversation i, I had a great time i'm really happy you had me on and i thank you very much for the opportunity to uh to share my thoughts it's a great podcast i gotta yeah. i gotta go back and listen to the whole catalog hey i appreciate that man and, and definitely let us know when yours is ready i think it's cool stuff that you're doing and uh i wish you the best with it thank you sir all right Hey, thanks a ton for listening to the episode. Um, I really do appreciate everybody that listens. And I think it's super cool that people want to hear conversations like this. They want to hear us talk about values and different perspectives and really just philosophical thinking. Um, I'm kind of on this mission or journey to bring philosophy back to the forefront, maybe even make philosophy cool again, because I just think there's so much value in thinking about our thinking, questioning and challenging ourselves more, pondering these big picture questions about life. Um, so in that spirit, I'm trying to expand that mission a little bit, and I created a Patreon account um, that would be awesome if you check out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's pretty simple, though. It's patreon.com slash what's the value. And the idea is for people that maybe want to learn more about philosophy, dip their tone out a little bit, or maybe you already love it and just want to get more of it, um, check it out because there's kind of a tier for everybody, whether you just want to get like a quick philosophical video or a thought of the day. Um, maybe you want to email or text me some questions and get some thoughtful philosophical responses. Or if you want to have a live one-on-one -on -one chat over Zoom, um, we're even doing group discussions where we kind of do group philosophical debates and discussions and ponder some of those big questions. So check it out, see if it's something you might be interested in. Uh, as I said, I just love to bring more philosophy into our lives. And I thought this might be a cool way to do it. Um, whether that's your thing or not, and you're into Patreon or not, I really do appreciate a ton that you listen and check out these episodes. So I appreciate it greatly. And I hope you have an awesome day.